A reading from the book of Luke, chapter 11. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give them the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? You may have a seat. Oh, God's word is good, amen? Amen. amen. We uh, started a series last week called Daring Prayers, and... The idea is that we would be a people who connect with our Father through prayer, that we could come to him boldly, that we would become aware of his presence, that we would have this intimate relationship. And what I want you to hear off the bat today is the goal of this series is not that we would become incredible prayers, okay? And let me share that with a little bit of a metaphor. Um, when a husband and wife are married, the goal of their marriage, um, they want oneness, they want closeness, they want intimacy, they want to live their calling and purpose. And one of the hindrances to that, one of the challenges, or something that could actually help it, is communication, right? And so they work on their listening, they work on honest communication and being transparent and being vulnerable and, and how do we make sure we set, a time, set aside time to connect. But the goal of marriage is never communication, okay? If the goal of marriage is communication, oh, we just have such good communication. That's kind of a lame marriage, right? The, the, the goal of communication is that there would be intimacy, that there would be closeness. And it's actually similar with prayer. The goal is never prayer. Prayer is the means to intimacy with God. You hear me on that? Okay, so our hope isn't we walk away from these four weeks, man, I'm an incredible prayer, right? And God's like, I wish I knew you. I wish we could actually connect and we would have intimacy. And so before we start talking about kingdom prayers, before we start talking about healing prayers, they are powerful calls, but we actually need to start with this idea of connecting prayers. If we are gonna pray bold, big, daring prayers, we actually have to first start building a connection through small, honest, trust-building prayers. And so, um, small prayers wasn't a great title, but that's what we're gonna be looking at today. What does it look like to have relational connection with our Father? And so we come to this passage in Luke 11, and Jesus' disciples are asking him, Jesus, how do we pray? 
And he actually starts this section here by creating a framework for prayer, what we would know as the Lord's Prayer. And he walks them through that. And then he starts to give these metaphors and these examples of the importance and, and things that actually keep us from connecting with God in prayer. And it's things like authenticity and consistency and even confidence when we come to God. And so the first thing that Jesus teaches us in this section on how to pray is that we need to come with real needs. We, we need to bring the real pain, the real struggle, because often when we're trying to learn how to pray or we're seeking to pray, we're trying to pray the right things rather than the real things. And what that results in is inauthenticity in our prayer life that prevents us from actually connecting with God. All throughout the scriptures, we see these, this call to pray and, and why we pray. We see it here in Luke 11:5. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. What is that? Jesus is saying, no, there's a real need that you have. And, and so you go next door seeking to borrow it from a friend. Paul, when he's writing to the church of Philippi, he says, God will supply your every need, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The point of prayer is that we would actually, one of the purposes is that we would bring our real needs to God. No, what is actually happening in our everyday lives? Even in James, we saw Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. That is the call of prayer, that we would actually bring our real burdens all throughout Scripture. We see the Bible calling us and teaching us on prayer. It teaches us to pray for what is actually happening in our lives. Why? Why should we do that? Because God wants a relationship with you. That is the purpose of prayer. And in a relationship with God, it includes healthy dependence on him for all that we need. And so your real needs, what you need to understand, your real needs, they come out of your, your heart. And they're a, they are a reflection of your real burdens and desires. And your real burdens and desires are a reflection of your real self. And so coming to God, presenting and bringing the things that actually are burdening us, the things that are on our mind, whether it's big or small, is about bringing our real selves to God. And so the hope is that we would learn to pray authentic, real prayers. And so often when we are either starting to pray or learning how to pray, um, seeking to be a prayer, um, we always say, okay, what are the things I'm supposed to pray about? And then I'm going to pray about those things. And so we sit down and we're like, oh, what was that formula I learned as a kid? Oh, yeah. Okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does hallowed even mean? I wish I knew more words. You know, if I just had more words in my, my, my vocabulary, it, it just would be such a good thing. And, and I, you know, I sh maybe I should have gotten my master's. If I would have gotten my master's, I would know more words. And if, actually, if I got my master's, I would probably have a much better job than I have right now, and I'd like it a lot more. And man, I am stressed about my review on Thursday, what's happening. You start wandering, right? You know, and you're like, oh, I, I shouldn't wander. I can't do that. Thy kingdom come. 
I wonder if King and Country is still around. Are they, is that band still after they happen? Thy will be done. I met that guy, Will, at Paul's Coffee. He's so nice. I should go get a latte, you know, after this. Give us this day our daily bread. I wish I wasn't gluten-free. You know, you start, anybody else like start praying and like 30 seconds in you're wandering? Anybody else want to admit it, you know, with me? Okay, you know, the four of us, ADD, right? Okay, the rest of you are holy and righteous and straightforward. But I start praying and I start, I start wandering. My mind goes to all these different places, right? And my entire life, I would beat myself up for it. I'm like, man, I just, I just don't love God. I must not be saved. I don't have the Holy Spirit. I can't pray for hours on end. I can't even get two minutes into my prayer without wandering. And I felt guilt over it. Up until about two or three years ago, I read this book called A Praying Life by a guy named Paul Miller. And he shares his story on prayer and how he learned to pray. You know how he learned to pray? Um, He had a little girl with severe autism. So severe, she couldn't speak, couldn't communicate regularly with their family. And he shares his journey about learning to communicate with his daughter and how much he just longed to know what was going on in her heart and mind and made this connection between prayer and prayer with his father and his little daughter communicating with him. And, and it's this powerful book. And in it, he starts to emphasize the power of wandering prayer. And he talks about this idea, how we start to pray and we start to wander about all these different things. And he argues that wandering prayers are some of the most authentic prayers that we can pray. This is what he says. He says, instead of being frozen by, our, by your preoccupation, your self-preoccupation, talk with God about your worries. Tell him where you are weary. Your mind will wander to where you are weary. The criteria for coming to Jesus is weariness. What does Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come overwhelmed with life. Come with your wandering mind. Come messy. And I remember reading that, and I just felt this burden lifted off me. That, that actually these things where my mind drifts and goes when I sit down to pray are the things that are actually giving me anxiety, are the things that I'm genuinely burdened by, that I'm wondering about. And what Paul Miller argues in this book is just invite God into that process. Don't, don't sit down and be like, oh, I got off track, right? Imagine a conversation that you're having with a dear friend, and it goes on all these different trails. Imagine if every time you went on a trail, you're like, I'm so sorry, I can't believe I talked about that thing that's burdening me. Let me go back to our original topic of discussion. About seven minutes in, your friend would be like, why are you so weird, right? This is awkward. like, no, that's how a conversation works. God is a relational being. And he just, he wants to be invited into the burdens, the real burdens, the real needs of your life. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not some, you know, high and holy mountain, oh, we're so righteous and we're so great and I use the right formula. No, prayer is a conversation. And so invite him into the wandering process because our mind wanders to where we are burdened. And our burdens are what God wants to help us carry. And prayer is how we invite God into those burdens. See, here's what I need you to understand, is the bridge from anxious worry to surrendered burdens is crossed by inviting God into our lives through prayer. That's how we get from anxious worry to surrendered burdens. Um, Recently, uh, I I met 
a gal who is the most incredible prayer I've ever met in my life. I learned so much about prayer from her. Um, she's seven years old, and her name is Nova Everly Clark. And that girl prays about everything. For those of you guys who don't know me, that's my last name, and that's my daughter, okay? <laughs> I met her more recently than a couple years ago. I should rephrase that, but she's been learning. She is this prayer warrior. Um, everything on her mind, she stops and prays about. There's times where, you know, she'll bring something up, and my wife will say, oh, we should sit and pray about that. And she's like, oh, I already did, right? It's like everything, from like somebody in her class is sick to her little stuffed animal, Peanut, is feeling anxious about the big day ahead. Everything. She prays about everything. And, you know, at first it was this like, oh, isn't that cute? She learned how to pray. Now she prays about everything. But what's happened is this shift has taken place in me where it becomes this filter in my life where I ask, well, would Nova pray about this? And if Nova would pray about it, then I should. I literally have these theological arguments with myself where it's something small and stupid, but I'm burdened by it. I'm like, I can't find this or I need that. And I'm like, I will not pray about this. This is too meaningless and too small. And over and over, I hear Nova's little voice praying for Peanut and his anxiety for that day. And I'm like, she has this faith that says God cares about the things that I care about. And theologically, I lose that argument every time. And I find myself over and over being like, I actually do need to bring these things to God, these things that burden me. And this is actually what Paul argues in Philippians 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, right? You know what the Greek means there? It means every situation, okay? There is nothing too small, too meaningless. If it is meaningful to you, it's meaningful to your father. It's, if it's burdening to you, then God wants to help you carry it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is what the call of prayer is. See, your real needs, they represent the real you. That's why we need to bring what's actually happening. Stop trying to pray what you think you're supposed to pray and bring the real you because that's who God wants relationship with. We spend so much of our lives putting on masks, do we not, right? You, you go to work and you have your work mask that ignores the stress and burden of home, um, the, the emotions that you're feeling in your family disconnect, and you're like, no, you, you, or feeling inadequate, you put on your work mask, and you're like, no, I'm, I'm, like, I, I'm at work right now. This is the mask that I put on. Or social gatherings, right? You have your cool and your confident mask to cover up the fact that we really are all back at kindergarten just hoping people like us, right? And so we're, we're trying to be cool and confident, and at the end of the day, we're like, man, I just, I just want friends. There's a social media mask that we've we have perfected the art of bringing all of our highlights and presenting them before the world, this curated version of our lives while we downplay our struggles. Even at church, like we wear a mask, right? Hey, how's it going? Oh, too blessed to be depressed. Uh, just amazing, <laughs> right? You know? And here's what I need you to understand is that when we pray about what we think we're supposed to pray about, we're actually putting on a spiritual mask with God. The only way to come to God is by taking off your spiritual mask. 
The real you has to meet the real God, and that's where you experience real transformation. God, this is what is burdening me. And when you bring your real self to Jesus, you give him the opportunity to work on the real you. That is the place where transformation takes place. That is when the kingdom will come. Because the kingdom comes when Jesus is king of your life, not king of some false life you've made up, some overly spiritual life. And so just come to him with your burdens, with your fears, with your needs, with the things that you're stressed about, that invite him into the process. Because anything else is what Jesus calls hypocrisy putting on a false spiritual mask to cover up the real you. And so, man, would we be a people that long to connect with our Father and the way we do it is through taking off the mask and praying about the real needs of our lives. You know, on, on your way out, here, here's something that I just want to invite you to participate in. Uh, in our prayer resources, we have these prayer cards. And we have all kinds of situations from I feel anxious to I feel stressed to I actually am experiencing abundance to I feel stuck to I'm experiencing grief or conflict or unforgiveness. And what our prayer team has done is they've taken scriptures that speak to this topic and they have written prayers that we can pray over and over that pray through scripture on these different areas. Let me just read this one example about anxious because I want, to, I want you to see it and just how powerful it is. Father God, I know that you see my struggles with anxiety. Teach me how to not be anxious because you are my God. Your gracious spirit will lead me forward on a firm footing. Today, when I am afraid and anxious, I will put my trust in you. I will cast my anxious burdens to you. Lord, and you will care for me. Your word teaches me not to worry about anything and to pray about everything. So I will tell you what I need by praying until I feel victory in my spirit. Then I will experience your peace that surpasses understanding. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. And these are powerful tools and resources because when we start to feel overwhelmed and burdened by life, there's times where we don't even have the words to say. And so to be able to pray these, and, and one, of my, uh, one of my favorite parts about these is they made these cards, and then the back of them, they just made, a, they made them into a postcard. And so you just literally put an address and a stamp, and you can send that to anybody as you hear about burdens and worries. But he, we have to pray about our real needs. And as we pray about our real needs with our real self, we actually need to come with bold persistence. This is what Jesus tells us. He says, keep coming. Verse nine, he says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. I, I, I really love this because the disciples are like, Jesus, teach us to pray. And he's like, just do what I do. Just be really persistent, persistent over and over. Dad, dad, daddy. Dad, dad, dada, Abba, dad, right? It's literally, like kids have had it right the whole time, right? He's like, just be, you gotta keep knocking. Hey, dad, guess what, what, what do I, he, he's like, that's how we, this is Jesus teaching us how to pray. He's like, be persistent, because persistence, it does three things. First, persistence, it conveys importance. 
if you keep praying over something, this, this analogy that Jesus gives in this first section of, of this passage here, it, it, it's, it, it's really interesting because we have to bring it into our context. It says, you know, you have somebody coming over and, and you need these, these loaves of bread and so you knock on your neighbor's door and they're like, hey, we're already in bed, man. Like, don't wake me up. And it doesn't quite translate today, to today's day and age, right? Because we have separate rooms and separate living spaces. And so if you like text your friend, you're like, dude, I need some food. I have friends coming over. They're not going to be like, sorry, man, my kids are asleep already. You're like, so what does that have to do with anything, you know? But in this day and age, it was one room. And that one room is where everybody slept. The, the mom, the dad, the kids, the cow, right? That, that's where you made food. And so... He hears this knock on the door, and he's like, no, I'm not going to wake up my entire family in order to make bread for you because you have somebody else coming over. And, and, and they're bringing this persistence, but it's not until he keeps going that he realizes how important this is. Oh, if you stay persistent, it emphasizes and it conveys importance. It's kind of like to, in today's day and age, right? If you're, if you're in bed, and three in the morning, your phone starts ringing. You start hearing the buzz, Right? What would you do initially? Like, you'd probably take a look and you'd be like, that's not a number I recognize, or, that, or maybe it is one. And you're like, they probably called me on accident. All right? You click mute and you put it down. At least if you call me, that's what I'm doing. I'm not answering at three in the morning. Like, you're on your own at that point. And the Lord isn't even awake yet, okay? Right? I am sleeping. And, but if you call back again, I'm like, okay, it wasn't a mistake, but still, it's three in the morning, right? And I put it down. And if that person calls a third time, you're like, this is an emergency. There is something happening. I need to answer and find out what's going on right now. And you would answer that phone. This is what Jesus is teaching us about prayer. He's saying, no, actually persistence, it conveys importance. And we have to ask ourselves, if your persistence in prayer reflects the significance of your prayer, what message would it convey? There's things that we say are so important. This is a burden on my heart, yet we bring it to God one time. We send him a text message, like, hey, maybe if you can get to this, that'd be great. And, he, and Jesus is saying, hey, if this is really important to you, you should probably keep knocking. You should keep seeking the Lord on this. We looked at the story of Elijah last week and, and this great prophet who prays for rain, and how many times did he pray before it rained? Seven times. He keeps coming back to prayer. He's not like, well, I prayed, and I guess God said no. He's like, no, God, this is important. And so persistence it conveys importance. Second, persistence, it builds passion. And what I mean by that is it's actually not, when God is being patient in answering, it's not a picture of his reluctance or his need to be persuaded. Our persistence in prayer doesn't change God. God is not changing. Our persistence in prayer changes us. We start to get a burden for these things. We start to build an actual passion. And, and see, what I need you to understand is God actually awaits our persistence in prayer with an aim to cultivate within us a deep passion and alignment with his desires. That's why there's times where he's like, not yet. Or he wants us to keep praying. Because he wants us to build some importance there. My, my wife and I have learned with our kids when they ask for something like for their birthday, we're like, okay, like we're not gonna, okay, hey, I want this for my birthday. 
right? That's not the first thing we're gonna go get. My, my, my daughter, she got one of those, um, I don't know if you remember these, it was like the Sears catalog growing up and Christmas was coming around, they'd send out the Sears catalog and you'd like circle what you wanted. Some of you guys are like having nostalgia, right? You're like literally picturing, you know, watching Family Matters, circling the items you want, right? Well now, uh, I don't even know if Sears is a company anymore, right? But Amazon is and they started sending those out. A co- completely digital company sends these out. And so my daughter was like, oh, I circled the things I want for my birthday and I start flipping through through it, and out of a thousand items, about 792 are circled, right? She's just, I don't like, no, but this doesn't do any good, all right? And so I'm like, I need to know, like, what is actually important to you? So we just wait. And you know what is really important to her starts coming up more and more often. And she starts asking for the Barbie dream house. And I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe. Like, we'll see as your birthday gets closer. And she keeps asking. And finally, she's like, well, here's my list, okay? Um, I either want five puppies a private island, or if those are inconvenient, you can get me a Barbie dream house, right? (laughs) And so birthday rolls around, and I'm like, sweet. All right, she's been asking for this persistently. And, uh, and so it goes time, and I Google Barbie dream house, and then I, my heart sinks as I realize, like, I'm all, in, I'm all for investing real estate, right? But at those prices, you know, with interest rates where they're at, I'm not buying that dream house, you know what I'm saying? Like, that is not a good, wise loan to buy something. It was, it was ins- I was like, this is insane, right? Like, okay, I guess we're getting puppies, you know? Like, this is not happening, Right. And so my wife, about a week before her birthday, maybe two weeks before her birthday, my wife comes to me, she's like, hey, I searched Facebook Marketplace and there's a Barbie dream house like around the corner from us. I'm like, done, I'm going, all right? So I get my truck and I go and I pull up and guy opens his garage and I had no idea the scale of this thing, you know what I'm saying, right? I was like, should I take the Mini Cooper or the truck, right? I should take the U-Haul. Like I put it in the back of my truck. I like strapped this thing down, it's giant. You would have think it was an advertisement for a movie coming out in summer of 2023, right? You know, Barbie, go see it, you know, driving through the neighborhoods. And as I'm pulling up, Right? I'm pulling into our neighborhood. I'm like, I, I need to actually cover this thing with tarps. It's so big. Because no one's going to see this you know, when, I, when I rally the neighborhood to carry it into our, you know, into our shed. Right? And so I get out, and I'm covering it with tarps. Well, as I'm covering it with tarps, you know, uh, Jesse and the kids, they're leaving. They're, they're pulling out of our cul-de-sac, driving past. I cover it up. And Nova's like, it's puppies. There's a bunch of puppies. Right? You know? And so I put it in the shed, and her birthday come, you know, rolls around. And we, you know, we can't even... We can't even wrap this thing. So while she's sleeping, we set it up in the living room and it becomes our new living room, right? We're like cooking eggs on it, right? It's just, we're in the, we're in the water slide. But she comes up and she, I mean, it was one of my favorite gifts to ever give because of the joy. Because she had asked for that for months. Now, now here's what I need you to understand about this. I don't think that it's her passion for this item that actually resulted in patience to keep asking. Because there's times where she's asked her things that she's gotten right away. She's like, yay, thanks. And then it's like literally like hidden, you know, the next week. She, she forgets about it. But what I think it was is it was her persistence that for months and months and months she kept asking for the same thing. It actually welled up within her this passion for it. And so when it actually came, there was this new level of appreciation and joy and receptivity. This is actually what I think God is doing with us. When he's saying, hey, keep knocking, because your passion for what you're asking for hasn't caught up yet. I want you to pray until your heart catches up. 
I want you to pray until your passion is there. And this is the third thing that we see in persistence. Persistence, it develops connection. There's a connection there. See, one of the subtlest hindrances to prayer in the modern day and age, yeah, there's all kinds of distractions and all kinds of reasons, but you know what? One of the reasons why it's hard for us to pray um, because we have everything we need at the click of a button. It's amazing when you read through the scriptures how often the scriptures are referring to daily bread and bread because that was an actual need. And for us, very few of us, um, those small everyday needs are not a practical thing. We're like, no, I can, actually money is more convenient than prayer. M- I turn to money more than prayer. And Paul Miller, again, he, in his book, Praying Life, he puts it like this. He says, because we can do life without God, praying seems nice but unnecessary. Our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. As a result, exhortations to prayer don't stick. And so there's something about this persistence that it develops a connection because rather than turning to a credit card, we start to turn to our heavenly father for, to meet our everyday needs and say, God, I actually need you to show up here. And rather than finding my own solution or borrowing from the neighbor or just borrowing from my future, um, I'm gonna persist in prayer. Uh, I have a bunch of family down in California and through 2020, 2021, and 2022, um, California experienced the most significant drought on historical record. Um, lakes were literally dry, drying up. This picture that you see here, um, this, is, this is a lake, a reservoir, and the water is usually just below that bridge, right? The, and so these, it's just drying up because they were not getting the rain that they should have experienced. People were buying, I, I saw stories of people who would buy lakefront property that dropped in value because it became mud front property. You know what I'm saying? Like literally, absolutely drying. There were cities that passed ordinances that you could no longer irrigate your lawn. They're like, no, like we do not water our grass any, you know, anymore. Meanwhile, up here in Oregon, we're like, you can borrow some of our rain. Like, you know, maybe in like January and February, why don't you just take some of our, you know, some of our rain, that'd be nice. But there was this significant, massive drought that was affecting California in a massive way. And then January of 2023, just earlier this year, some of you guys probably remember this and saw this on the news, one of the greatest rainstorms in California history showed up. I mean, it was just this absolute downpouring. There were houses that were flooding, completely flooded. Um, this, is in, this is in Capitola. My dad lives right next to Capitola and Aptos. And this is, we would walk along the beach here. And, and there's no big, you know, retaining wall because the, the, um, the ocean wouldn't come that high, but the storms were so intense that literally um, there was boardwalks and complete areas along the beach that were destroyed. Cars, this looks like, like it's in some jungle in some other country, right? This is California, right? They're like, we're gonna increase the taxes, okay? You know, it just, it just it's an insane experience of these floods coming down. But I was reading this article about it and I just was stopped in my tracks. And this is what it said as I'm reading this article because I'm seeing all these photos of this downpouring of this flood of what's happening. And this article said that scientists I've argued and understand that this downpour is still not enough to reverse the drought that California is experiencing. Cars are floating down the freeway and it's still not enough to reverse the effects of the drought. 
And here's what I see. What the dry lands of California needed was not a torrential downpour, but steady and consistent rain. That would reform the actual rivers. That would refill the lakes and the reservoirs. That would re-irrigate the barren land. And the truth is, so it is with us. We have these drought-afflicted souls. And what we need is not some single event where we experienced the downpour and we prayed all day, where we experienced this, this moment in time. What we need is the routine reigns of grace through prayer. We need to be persistent in our prayer because it builds a connection. That is what actually refills our spiritual reservoirs. That is what re-irrigates our souls to connect with God, is these small, simple prayers over and over. And listen, I, I want to talk about daring prayers. I want to talk about life-changing prayers. I want to talk about kingdom prayers. I want to talk about healing prayers, all of that. But what we need first is souls that are connected to God. That, that see, no, it's in the small things, in the everyday things, the things that we think he doesn't care about, that he wants to show up and says, you are my child. And I love you dearly. And this is what we need. This is the last thing that Jesus teaches us, that we need to come with childlike confidence, that we would be a people that know our Father loves us and our Father sees us and he cares for us. He uses the, the metaphor and the analogy of us. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's like, God is a good Father, and he wants to pour out his blessing on you. See, this is why it's so important that we spend time studying the nature of God. It's not so that we know about God. It's so that we know him. It's not so that we have sound theology about God. It's so that we can have deep relationship and intimacy with him. See, the foundation of who he is, you know who God is? You guys, he's sovereign, loving, all wise, and patient. This is who he is. What does it mean that he's sovereign? He means that, that there are no rogue molecules on this earth, that he is in control of all things, that he is either actively moving or actively allowing. He is sovereignly in control, but he is also loving. You know what that means? He wants good for your life. Some of you just need to just get that in your heart, in your head. God loves me and wants good for me. He, he is in control of all things, and he's loving. But guess what? He's all wise, mean, meaning he knows the consequences of what you're asking for. And Tim Keller put it like this one day. He, he, he said, if we knew exactly what God knew, we would answer our own prayers exactly like he does. Because he's all wise, he is sovereign, he is loving, he is wise, and he is patient. He is working on a different timeline. All of this, what is it pointing to? That he is a good father. And so when we come to him, we come with childlike boldness and expectations, knowing that we have a good father who is in control of all things, who loves us in our pain, who is all wise, knows the ins and outs, knows what good and bad is, and he's patient. And so we can come to him with expectation that he's gonna pour out his goodness if we would but ask. And he's gonna pour out his grace if we would but ask. It may not always look the way that we think it's gonna look, but he is good and he is sovereign.
I remember when I was nine years old and I was really into G.I. Joe's. And my, nine year, my, my ninth birthday was coming up. And so um, I, at Toys R Us, I saw this G.I. Joe Battle Station Fort thing and I was like, I want that. And I told my parents. And my birthday came around and um, I, you know how you see a gift and you're like, I know exactly what that is, right, by, by it being wrapped up. And I knew as soon as I came down the stairs, that was a G.I. Joe battle station. But here's the problem. Between asking for that and my birthday, I realized I didn't want that anymore. I wasn't into G.I. Joe's anymore, right? And so I see this gift and I immediately start crying, right? And I'm like, I don't want that. And my parents, my mom's like, why don't you open it? Like, you don't know what it is. Like, you know, I'm like, I know what it is. I know what it is. I know that shape, right? You know, and I'm like having this, you know, argument with her. And, uh, you know, my, my dad being the more patient one, he's like, open it or it's going back. You know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> and I calm down and I'm like, you know, like I leave the room and I come back in and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna enjoy this G.I. Joe stupid battle station that I've moved on from, right? And I start to open the gift. And I'm, it's not even open. And I realize this is not a G.I. Joe battle station. This is the gift that I didn't even dare ask for. This is a Sega Genesis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, from the Ark of the Covenant. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> in fact, I was going through old family pictures, and I found a picture of the moment where I look at my dad in disbelief. Right? You know, my parents are cheap when you have multiple types of wrapping paper, you know, over. <laughs> but this is the, the gift I dare not ask for. The, I, Sonic the Hedgehog, right? Like, you, oh man, you kids born in the 2000s, you have no idea. The, the glory days of video games, right? When you weren't like creating a, a second identity, you were just like, you know, having fun, you know, right? <laughs> and it was this moment where I, I just am in shock and I'm looking, you know what happened? I, for, I forgot about the goodness of my father. I'm sitting there crying over what I think I'm gonna get because I forgot about the goodness of my father. And what Jesus is saying is, some of you guys don't pray because you've forgotten about the goodness of your father. And we need to pray. And we need to come to him with our real needs and our real desires and our real wants because he is a good father. And he wants to connect with us. And, and he wants us to be persistent in prayer, not so that he can be convinced or swayed, but so that you can be convinced, so that the passion for your lost neighbors can well up in your heart. The passion for healing in your marriage can be bur a burden on your mind. We have a good father, and he's called us to pray. And so let's pray small, simple, connecting prayers in every moment because God is omnipresent in every moment, every situation of everyone's lives, if we would but become aware. And what's gonna happen over the coming weeks and months as you pray about things that feel small and meaningless, it's gonna show you that God sees you and he loves you and he's with you and he's good and he's sovereign and it's gonna give you the boldness and the confidence to pray for things you never would have imagined before. That's how we become daring prayers. Lord, would you do this in us? Would you create a connection and a desire to connect with you in us? Would you shape our hearts in this month of July as we are focusing on prayer? Not that we would become prayers, 
but we would become connected children that could come with expectation, that would come with our real needs and our real burdens, and that we would experience a deep connection with our Father who loves us more than we could ever imagine. We pray all this because your son by his blood has made a pathway for us to enter into your presence and experience your spirit. And all God's people said, amen.